Episode 48 Ravished by His Spouse I don't know about you, but my upbringing as a child, I can't ever remember an overwhelming abundance of affection shown to me. But I would submit to you that affection is a need that God gives and wants to receive back. So this thing called affection is kind of the frosting on the cake, if you will. I am totally convinced that God will always give us love and affection as to fulfill that need. Now, the deeper we go into this study, uh, we see that he wants us to become infatuated and obsessed with him because he is infatuated and obsessed with us as well. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Neil Parks, and welcome to the program. We're in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. That term ravished in the Webster's Dictionary is defined as to be overcome with emotion, such as joy or delight. This next verse of Scripture summarizes the Song of Solomon. Many believers do not know or understand that God is filled with this kind of desire for them. Song, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, You, the, the Lord speaking, the beloved, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart. With one look of your eyes, now no expressions of love can be more passionate than these are here, in which Christ manifests his affection to his church, and yet that great proof of his love is his dying for it, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. And that goes a long way beyond our understanding. A spouse so dearly bought and paid for could not but be more dearly loved. I want to read something by Matthew Henry here about this this part. Henry says, How he, Jesus, is affected towards his spouse. Thou hast ravaged my heart. The word is used only here. These words are coined to express the inexpressibleness of Christ's surprising love to his church. And the strength of that love is set forth by that which is weakness in people that being so much in love with one object, the church, as to be heartless to everything else. This may refer to that love which Christ had to his chosen people, 
before the worlds were created and when his disciples were with the sons of men. You read about that in Proverbs 8.31. That first love which brought him from heaven to earth to seek and to save them at such an immeasurable expense. Nevertheless, including the contentment he takes in them when he has brought them to himself. Now, you see, Christ's heart is upon his church, my friends, just as it has appeared all along. His treasure is in it. There is his heart also. Now, Exodus 19.5, verse 5 says, Now, therefore, if you will in fact obey my voice and keep my covenant agreement, then you shall be my own special possession and treasure from among all peoples of the world. For all the earth is mine. I like what one man said about this very thing. He said, Never was love likened unto the love of Christ, which made him even mindless of himself. When he emptied himself in his glory and despised all shame and pain for our sakes. The wound of love towards us, which he had from eternity in himself, made him neglect all the wounds and reproaches of the cross. In other words, he wanted to die for his bride, to be with her for eternity. Oh, what a statement. Our salvation involves much more than receiving a legal position of righteousness before God. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21, says we must understand God's affections for us. Why? Because we will never have more passion for God than what we understand about his passion for us. We love him because we understand he first loved us in 1 John 4.19. God's heart is filled with delight for his people. In song, uh, in the song, uh, chapter 7, verse 10, Solomon writes, I am my beloved's, and his desires is toward me. Folks, we are beautiful to God, even in our weakness. Immediately after the maiden's season of discipline in Song 3, 1 through 2, the Lord declares that she is beautiful to him. The revelation that a sincere believer is beautiful to God even in their weakness is foundational to growing in God's grace. We are changed by this revelation. Uh, Song chapter 4 verse 1 says, Behold, you are fair. That word fair means beautiful. My love, behold, you are fair. 
Unlike in Song chapter 2, when she failed to answer the call to go with him and was under the influence of the foxes and excuses, now in chapter 4, verse 6, she aspires to take up the cross and go. Until daybreak, she says, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. The bride responds to Jesus' affirmations to, by setting her heart to obey his call to come with him to the mountains. She now embraces the cross to go to the mountains, and she makes a somewhat firm decision to lead the, leave the comfort zone that she's in to go up the mountain by saying, I will go. Unfortunately, she only said yes. Oops. She had not yet gone to the mountain. A change of mind. Hmm. Didn't we just go through this back in chapter 3? She does not go up the mountain until she comes to grips with the second part of a test. You see, in the Gospel, James chapter 1 talks about the testing, the trials, and the tribulation. But God sees the Shulamite bride. He sees her willingness to embrace the cross. You see, the Lord defines her in terms of her willing spirit and not in terms of her weak flesh or her maturity. So with that said, she has slipped back into the flesh, you might say. Isn't this typical in the church? Regardless, God understands our weakness. Look what Hebrews 4 verse 15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sins. You know, it it was inconceivable to the religious mindset in the first century that a holy God would have capacity for tenderness, sympathy, and affections. Who even wrapped himself in the garments of humanity and then experienced God's wrath on a cross. Now, folks, God loves us the same way that he loves God. So what are you talking about here? Well, the measure of God's love or affection for Jesus is the measure of Jesus' love for us. This is the ultimate statement of our worth. It gives every believer the right view of themselves as God's favorite. Look what John 15, 9 says. As the Father loved me, Jesus speaking, I also have loved you. 
Abide, live in my love. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Well, we're going to stop it right here for today, and we're going to pray. But here's a question for you. Question is, as a follower of Christ, how much thought have you given to the understanding about being his bride and how your love and affections ravish and overwhelm him? Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you today and I I lift you up. I pray for the listeners as we go through your scriptures, Father God. I pray that this would all be to your glory. I just thank you for the people all over the world that are listening to this. I pray, Father God, right now that you would touch their hearts, that they would seek you with all of their hearts. And your scripture says where we do that, you will reveal yourself to us. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that whatever my listeners might be going through, I lift them up to you at the altar of incense so that this prayer would be sweetened and the aroma would rise to you. And I do this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, I'm looking forward to the next time, my my friends, my family. And until then, I'm Neil Parks.